This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach, heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach, and today we're going to step into the world of composing musical theater, which really has produced some of the most iconic and memorable tunes in history from composers such as Gershwin, Sondheim, Andrew Lloyd Webber, Leonard Bernstein, Richard Rogers, Elton John, and Cole Porter, just to name a few. Whether you're a student, patron, thespian, or just a lover of musical theater, it's tremendously exciting to be able to listen to and discover new talent. And there is a composer lyricist with us today who is joining the list of some of the greats that have come before him. His name is Kevin Wong, and he is making his mark on the musical theater scene, but also as a composer of pop music with some outstanding work there as well. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about Kevin Wong. Kevin is a composer-lyricist, singer, musician, and dramaturge. He was trained at the Royal Conservatory of Music for violin, harmony, and music history. Some noteworthy credits are that he was a composer for the Musical Stage Company in 2014. He was part of the Theatre 20 Composium in 2015. And some of his musical theatre writing includes Recurring John, a song cycle, which played at many, many places, including Toronto Summerworks Festival, the Chicago Music Theatre Festival, and also Star Ving, a collection of songs, Misprint with book writer Lauren Toffin, Women of Musical Theatre Festival 2016, and Drama 101 with book writer and co-lyricist Stephen Gallagher, Bravo Academy 2017, which I saw and loved. It had a performance at the Etobicoke School for the Arts, also at Stage Door Academy in 2018. And Kevin won a Dora nomination for Best New Musical Opera. And right now, currently in development, is his new musical, The Preposterous Predicament of Polly Peel, Act One with book writer Julie Tepperman, most recently a sold-out hit at the 2018 Toronto Fringe Festival. And it was also the winner of the 2018 Playwrights Guild of Canada Stage West New Musical Award. Also Believers with book writer and co-lyricist Ali Joy Richardson and in real life with book writer and co-lyricist Nick Green, most recently, which was workshopped at Theatre Sheridan in March, April 2020. And in addition to all of this, if this weren't enough, Kevin streams online concerts of originals and covers three times a week on the streaming service Twitch. Kevin was also the Musical Stage Company's Associate Artistic Director from 2016 to 2018. He is a member of the vocal group Asian Riffing Trio with Chris Sujiuchi and Colin Ascension. He also went to law school. Kevin is currently a part-time faculty at Sheridan College. He is so prolific. He not only writes and composes for musical theater, but he also writes pop music as well, which is how I first came to know him. Kevin Wong, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. What a long bio. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Isn't it nice to hear back everything you've done? I always believe in saying it all because I think you've done the work. Let people know what you've done and what you've accomplished thus far. It's pretty impressive. Kevin, I've been listening to a lot of your music over the past couple of days. And to start things off, I have to go back to a song that first made me aware of your incredible work. I heard your version yesterday, 
and I just wept. And I have a witness, my daughter, Lily, who you know, who saw me cry my eyes out. And I just want to share with our audience you singing your song, Tides, from your album, Small Ways to Move. Can you tell me about this album and specifically this most beautiful song? Oh, thank you so much. Um, we adore Lily as well. What a fantastic artist coming up in the world. Um, Small Ways to Move was my pandemic album, so to speak. It, uh, it, I started writing it quite quickly, actually, in April and May of 2020, which feels so long ago now. And I was looking for some way to continue to create art that would somehow reach people because a lot of my theatrical productions had been canned, canceled, postponed, continue to be postponed. I have always been a bit of a studio bird in that I love, love creating arrangements and music in some sort of studio setting, whether it's at home or, or not. And this particular album came out of that. There's a couple of songs from musicals in progress that probably won't be seen for a little while. And then there's a bunch of standalone songs that are a little bit poppier and Tides is actually the final song on the album, but also the final song that I wrote. I thought it was going to be a seven track album that was mostly loosely thematically tied to finding your way into being grateful for the things you have in the present, breathing, centering yourself, not thinking too far ahead or behind. And then uh, the final song on the album was actually going to be track seven, uh, this song called Wake Me. And it felt like I was almost done, but that there was something missing in the mm. back of my head. And I remember my husband, who goes on daily walks to clear his head, left. And I I sat down. It was around 7.30 p.m. And there was a lot of pots and pans banging, as we like to do in 2020, <laughs> if you remember. I live in a condo, so there was definitely a lot of that on <laughs> across the two buildings. And I think the the line, find the silver in the lining, which is the first line of the song, kind of came to me because I was like, oh, there is good around if you look for it. And there, we have a capacity to do so much harm, yes, but also so much good for each other when we are committed to it. And... I sat down and started writing this song and the mantra of in and out and breathing and sort of grounding yourself through breath came pretty quickly. And I'd say the song was written in about 15 to 20 minutes. Wow. Uh, I may have even recorded a rough version of it that night, such that by the time my husband came back from his walk, which his walks are about one to two hours long, the song was recorded. Oh. And... I thought it was too simple, which is really funny. It's that thing where you create art and then you immediately judge it. And I sent it to my best friend, Amir, and he's like, oh, no, no, that has to go right on the album. I think that's what you close with. There, The simplicity is part of what makes it true. And I was like, all right, fine. <laughs> and, and that's how the song came to be. And I'm so glad I put it on the album because it's resonated so much, uh, including with Treve, who did that gorgeous version of it last year here. Um, yeah, it's sort of become bigger than myself, which has been quite gratifying. Did you kind of have a vibe as this was going along, as time was going along that, oh my God, I've really struck a chord with people based on all the reactions you were getting? Within about two weeks of the EP being released, I, it was pretty clear because a lot of friends and a lot of other people who I did not know kept tagging me in post specifically using that song. Wow. And I was like, okay, I think I think we're onto something with this song. And uh, and it certainly has been, you know, there's been a Hamilton Children's Choir arrangement of it as well mm. with us arranged mm. by this incredible musician Jimmy Drake and some really really beautiful covers of it. 
So, you know, at this point, the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. <laughs> There's tangible proof that it resonates with people, yes. which is great because I, I tend to be, uh, not modest, but I tend to undervalue the impact of something until the proof is presented to me and smacked yes. in my face. So, well, I, I'm not joking. I when I heard your particular rendition, your voice is so beautiful, and I knew it came from you. So there was just something about that combination that was so arresting that I literally wept. It wasn't like I had tears in my eyes; like I was full on bawling. So oh, I'd love you. to share this. Uh, we're going to play Tides right now for our listeners. Let's have a listen to Kevin Wong's beautiful composition of tides from small ways to move. Due to international copyright law, podcasts are unable to include music. Music can only be played on the live radio broadcast. Finding Your Bliss airs every Saturday at 1 p.m. If you'd like to hear this artist's music, you can find the link to our Finding Your Bliss SoundCloud in the episode description. Kevin, it's a masterpiece that was oh, so beautiful. You. Really beautiful. Wow. Thank you. Does it Thank still you. make, does it make you emotional to listen? It does. It will also, because I don't sit, I don't listen to my recording of it that often. Um, and it's fascinating to listen to other versions of it because I kind of discover new things through other voices as well. So, um, like whenever I hear Treve's version, for example, or, uh, the children's choir version, I kind of discover new things. Yes. Yeah. So it does still do something. It's interesting. And sometimes, uh, for example, right here on this show, I remember just feeling it 30 seconds ago where I was like, oh, I needed to hear this today. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> yeah. 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 It helped. It actually really helps. It's interesting. So I'm so glad we could share that with our listeners. Thank you for that. I just want to say another one of your recent songs on that same album, Small Ways to Move, literally made me get up and dance all around my room. And I <laughs> encourage everyone to go. So watch it on your Twitter, get the album, Small Waves to Move. It's called, I'm, I'm not playing that for you now, but you have to go get the album to hear it. <laughs> but uh, it, it's just absolutely wonderful. Uh, can you just tell us briefly how Small Waves to Move came about? Because it really does make you move. Yeah, I that one was the first one that I worked on for the album, really. like I, There was a song that I had sort of done for a different festival called The Water, which is a cut song from In Real Life. But I, I think when I started brainstorming this album, I was trying to think about, I often, I'm a bit of a top-down writer and I like to think about what I'm, what is the point of what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. <laughs> because I alternate between intense periods of very, very hard, obsessive work and then lying flat and staying at the ceilings <laughs> until I've regathered my energy. And yeah. as a result, you know, I find now, especially having written a lot of full-scale musicals, some of which sit in drawers and some of which take years to get produced, I really, really do need a I have to be saying something from the depths of me in order to feel passionate about a larger project enough to see it through. And I was sitting here in this very office staring out two, three, four, five weeks into the first lockdown and, and just thinking about how boxed in everything felt and how I had to find some way to actually feel like there was motion in my world. Um, and I thought that would be an interesting guide point for a song at least if and possibly the album because i often like you know this is something i've done since i was a teenager i've loved to sort of create a little uh fan art for myself of like what the album could look like or what the songs <laughs> on it might be or like you know create fake album art because i find like imagining what it could be galvanizes me to continue going through the dips and the valleys of the actual creation process mm -hmm. and 
with this particular one, I remember trying to find an antidote to that weird physical manifestation of tension we all started getting. Like a lot of us started clenching our jaws more (laughs) and a lot of us started waking up with tension headaches more, you know, in that period Mm -hmm. and experiencing strange back pain. (laughs) And, and I, you know, there was something about, you know, shake out the weight from my head early on in those lyrics that I was really important to me to sort of find a, a sense of freeness and lightness. And then I also remember that there was a really interesting debate in the theater community about whether we should be trying to do anything digitally at all or whether we should just sit still and grieve. And <laughs> I think they, you know, there were valid motivations on all sides of that discussion. But I, for me, and certainly I've had time to sit still and grieve now, but in that moment, I had a production at Sheridan that was supposed to be a graduation project for students. And I had no choice if not for me, then for those students to keep in motion because they needed to graduate and be graded and something to keep them moving as well, just so that they weren't just sitting and grappling with the fact that they weren't going to graduate in the same room or see each other for months. And there, that was the, that was the motivation behind some of those lyrics, right? Give, give my, my hands, my arms, my legs, something to do, some Mm -hmm. small way to move. Um, whether it's good or bad, being able to create and, and move in some sort of way yes. can be an access point to joy. Yes. And uh, and that was how the song came to be. <laughs> oh, it's just so wonderful. So I encourage everyone, get this album, Small Ways to Move, and listen to that song in particular, and of course, to the one that we just heard, Tides, which is like my all-time favorite. We're blown away by how you're able to write and produce musicals on Zoom. We we're just talking about that, like the one that you did, the musical in real life, where the students communicated online, life imitated art on Zoom. And this was done at Sheridan College. And thanks to you and technology and the hard work of everyone involved, you were able to put on a phenomenal show. Can you tell us about In Real Life and what it was like producing this as an online workshop production? Not an easy feat. No, very difficult. Um, I owe a lot of the the content and the the general premise of in real life to my collaborator Nick Green. They're an incredible playwright. Uh, they won a bunch of Doras. They're published. And when we got together to collaborate, he presented me with a bunch of different ideas. And I remember way back, this is in 2016 or 2017 when we first met. He was sort of like, I think of, I'm thinking about video games as a thing, and and it could go one way or the other. It could be really light, and it could be really whimsical. Or it could be dark and super dystopian. It could be <laughs> some projection of our current world in which everybody is separated by, into separate cubes and they attend school and they go to work and they sleep in their cubes alone and everything else is just done by digital projection. And I said, that one, that one sounds impossible. I want to do the hard <laughs> thing. Uh, I've never seen that and I want to, I want to do that. And uh, little did we know what 2020 to now was going to be like. Wow. But we were four days into physical rehearsals for a production in March 2020 when the pandemic came in. And in addition to the sort of student graduation project thing and giving them something that could be graded so they could actually complete their studies, it did feel like the content of this piece was literally commenting on what we were all experiencing and vice versa. Like Mm -hmm. it felt like there was a conversation to be had. So it did feel incumbent upon us both in a practical way, but also because of what the piece is to find some way to do some sort of in progress reading of it online. And certainly the first half of that first act takes place with all of these students in separate spaces anyway, talking to each other, forming friendships, going to class, doing exercise, 
exercises, you know, even gym class is done in your own cubicle, but on mass, you know, via something like a hyper advanced version of Zoom. And so we really, really were the first to start experimenting with how do we do this? How do you actually do a play reading on Zoom and, and starting to use some of those tricks to our advantage? You know, singing simultaneously with someone is still mm, not mm. the not you the can't most do a harmony, thing. right? You can't do a Not harmony really. live. That doesn't work. No, you can you can try to guess and start singing ahead of someone on your end, and then sometimes the vocals line up, and sometimes it goes really awry. <laughs> nice. But but you can sort of you know turn your camera on when your character enters the scene, and turn it off when your character exits. And right. and now with virtual backgrounds, there's there are lots of things that allow you to play with the virtual environment, so at least there's some sense of theater in it. <laughs> and we had the joy of being one of the first to step into that kind of world. Mm-hmm. And, and sort of prototype it. I loved watching the opening number, A Million, music by you, Kevin Wong, and was also written uh, by Nick Green, I believe, some of the lyrics. It gave everyone here on our team at Finding Your Bliss the chills, and as J-Lo would say, the goosies. <laughs> well, what was that process like for you to watch that opening number, A Million? There's something about it that just almost made me feel like I was in the theater. Oh, that's really good to know. It was... Well, a lot of our initial time was just spent on the how of it. Like, I feel like my, a lot of pandemic, people's different pandemic responses were to, you know, to ostrich a little while or to rest. And I went into like the how, 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 how do we do this? Because we had such a deliverable. And I really owe it to that creative team. Anne Hodges, our director, Chris Berler, our music director, and then Nick Bottomley, who was going to do physical uh, video projections in the theater. Nick had all of this research and it was going to be really cool. Like you could actually walk across the scrim of the theater. Theater, and then a camera was going to capture you, project your face behind you with all of these cool technological overlays. Um, so I, I sort of mourn for what that could have been. But what Nick did do was use a lot of that knowledge and that design in creating the video. So Nick edited that video together. And then Chris and I collaborated on actually mixing the audio mm. ourselves for it. And what that meant was that, you know, if a character appeared on the bottom left of the screen, you could implement some sound design and pan them left as well. And so your ears were matching what you were seeing on screen. So watching that video back, uh, I mostly think about like what a village it took to put that together and and how parts of it look effortless and even a little bit like maybe they just did it live on Zoom. But if you know anything about <laughs> yes, how simultaneous yes. singing works, <laughs> you know, you know, so much of it was premeditated and carefully crafted. Of course. Uh, but it didn't. It, it didn't uh, appear that way. It appeared like effortless and real, and you got caught away in the moment of it, and it was quite yeah. miraculous. You've been written up, Kevin, in Broadway World as a respected composer, lyricist, and singer-songwriter based in Toronto. And congratulations! You recently won the 2021 Playwrights Guild of Canada Tom Hendry Award for a new musical for a second time, this time for your production of In Real Life with Nick Green. What was it like to win this award for a second time, especially during these crazy COVID years? Don't answer yet. We're going to find out what that was like right after this short commercial break. Be right back with more of Finding Your Bliss and Kevin Wong when we come back, back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. 
So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And I'm here with uber-talented composer, lyricist, and singer Kevin Wong. And just before the break, I was asking Kevin what it was like to win the Tom Henry Award for a second time for a new musical, especially during COVID. (laughs) (laughs) It one, it's such an honor. I think in this particular, there are plenty of multi-award winners for the Playwrights Guild, but I think in the musical prize, I might be one of the first to get it a second time. And I acknowledge that it is a rare privilege uh, in that way. It was also very funny because of, like a lot of these application forms, you have to nominate someone to be the point person. And I think I was the point person for the last application when we won for Polly Peel. And then uh, I got to go back and give the award the next year to the subsequent oh. winner. But this time, um, because uh, Nick Green was the point person and they, I don't think they wanted to overcrowd their bandwidth. Only one of us was supposed to show up to sort of be the face of the nomination and then possibly accept the award if it won. And so I actually, to my, um, to my chagrin, forgot that the awards were happening that night and was, uh, was at dinner at a friend's when I got a text from Nick saying, we won. Oh, <laughs> and, and me being me, because I always want to make sure everybody feels included. I went into my usual <laughs> stress spiral being like, okay, I need to get on Twitter. Who do we need to tweet thank you to? And then how uh, how do we make sure everybody feels included in this win? Uh, but the benefit of being with friends is that they hold you in check and they they kind of stop me and say, Kevin, can we just pour a drink first and cheer to the <laughs> and win enjoy. and enjoy it? Which is my big pandemic learning. It's my, my constant progress is just learning how to stop and enjoy small successes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of artists who've been paralyzed by this, right? I actually was talking to someone today who's brilliant, but has been paralyzed by this pandemic. And you've been prolific during it. And you even released a new cover video of the gorgeous Winter Song, which was written and performed by powerhouse songwriters Sarah Bareilles and Ingrid Michelson. You and Colleen Dauncey, who is the composer of Louder We Get, did a gorgeous cover of this Winter Song. You also both released a gorgeous mashup video of Only Us. Oh, I loved it. From Dear Evan Hansen and You Matter to Me from Waitress, which became very popular on YouTube. And you're both such powerhouses. What was it like working with Colleen Dauncey? Oh, I adore Colleen so much. It's so funny because Colleen got into musical theater writing full time one or two years ahead of me, even though she's younger than me. But, uh, you know, she's she's more advanced than me in many other ways. And I remember even in 2014, when I was emerging onto the scene, I remember looking at Colleen and Akiva's work and being like, oh, I want that. I want that level of <laughs> success. And and so to have met her and have her be so generous and sort of treat me as a peer way back when you know, I was brand new to the scene was really, really gratifying. And I believe it was her idea. We did that only us and you matter to me mashup back in 2016 in December or January, 2017. And it was, I think Akiba's idea, actually her, her co-lyricist on the louder we get and grow who said, uh, this might be a really good thing for the two of you to try out. And it came together so naturally because she's an arranger and a composer and I am. So we sat down in, you know, at my piano and I think an hour later, we had the general shape of that mashup. 
pretty quickly. Wow. You know, know, she'd be like, what if I sing this part from this song? And I'd say, oh, great. That goes really well here. I'll sing this part over you. And, and it came together really quickly. And she's such a pleasure to work with in that way. When you work with someone who's such a natural knack for melody, harmony, Mm -hmm. vocal parts, how your voices fit together. She's moved to Vancouver since. And so while we were able to do that mashup in person together, this winter song was done entirely virtually with her in Vancouver and me here and us just sending files back and forth and sitting on Zoom. But I got to say, it didn't take that much longer than the You Matter to Me mashup. It came together really quickly. Just gorgeous, gorgeous work. Your music is available on on all streaming platforms, including Small Ways to Move 2020, Covers 2021, Emotional Homework 2019. And I wanted to ask you, we started to talk about Twitch for our listeners who may not know what that is, because I didn't, and I'm pretty tech savvy. And your channel is growing in leaps and bounds. (laughs) What is Twitch and how can we explain this to our listeners? So Twitch started as a platform for video gamers, which is why I think even I, you know, in my late 30s have this sort of like, oh, Twitch isn't for me, it's for the young ones. <laughs> and, uh, what they've done, especially in the pandemic, is they've continued to expand the scope of the other things that they offer. So yes, it's still best known for someone wants to stream a video game they're playing and provide commentary on it, or, you know, take someone through the journey of special like secrets that you may not have known about a certain game. Um, but what it also has is uh, other categories. So someone can do a cooking stream or a sewing stream or yeah. a music stream. So it really can be, you can find something there that correlates to your interests. And it's a lovely way to pass the time. It's sort of the new television in a way, because you're in charge of creating your own content. And you're also capable as a viewer of finding something really specific to your interests. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. you're, you're creating live on the air. So I was watching something to try to get the vibe, actually with the help of our associate producer, Shelly Koskin, <laughs> who sort of uh, put me through the paces. But But you were actually creating music right there. So I even was impressed with that. That's kind of very brave. It's a little scary. There are certain things I probably wouldn't share on Twitch just for copyright issues. You know, a brand new song from a musical that's not going to debut for a year. I probably won't accidentally publish it on Twitch by creating that. But for example, if I'm doing a cool cover or something or reimagining an arrangement for something that already exists in the world, I love paring back the curtain on process. I think it really galvanizes other people's imagination and also empowers them to develop new tools. You know, someone who may not have thought they could get into music production um, if I show someone how I do it and something fuels something in them to go try it on their own, then I think I've succeeded in some way. And there's something very joyful about the journey instead of just the end product. It really lets yes. people in on just what kind of work it takes and how you think about music. And and it makes it less of a mystical, magical, mysterious thing and more something that is for everyone, which I really believe it is. That's such a finding your bliss element for, for all of us to hear, because I think that it's so outward focused. And as you say, you're giving permission to other people to do the same. You're making it possible, which to me is pretty incredible. What is involved in the process of writing a new Canadian musical with social distancing in the time of COVID, in the age of COVID? I'd say, one, emotionally and internally, lots of small defeats and then lots of small moments of getting back up, you know, in that, in that, and I think you kind of have to allow yourself 
those small griefs in in this moment because we've all had setbacks or things that have had to vanish and go up in smoke in this time. Externally, it just felt like there were certain things that we could do with the musical while we were all apart, especially when we were really, really apart and no one was together in our rehearsal room at all. And then there were things we couldn't and we reordered some of our priorities so that we could do the things that were possible within this time. So for example, the initial trajectory was going to be that Sheridan would have a physical production with students in spring of 2020. And then possibly we would be looking at a physical uh, professional production in Toronto in either 2021 or 2022. And we're in 2022 now, and obviously (laughs) (laughs) it's not happening. But uh, what we were able to use 2021 for was the dramaturgy, particularly of the book of the musical. And for anyone listening who doesn't know what the book of a musical is, it's basically the play of the musical. So mm-hmm. if you take out all the songs, but you're still left with something cohesive that tells you a story and paints characters and moves from point A to point B, that's the book of the musical. And that doesn't require simultaneous singing. It requires strong actors and really smart dramaturgical minds to sit in some sort of space, virtual or physical, mm-hmm. and hear it and then comment on what's clear to them and what doesn't make sense or what's missing or, you know, to align with what the writer's objective is. Like, what do you mean to tell? And then help you tell the story that you're intending to tell by helping you hone your execution. And so we spent a lot of time on Zoom with some fabulous actors across Canada that I don't actually think we could ever get in the same room because some of them are in Calgary, some of them are in Vancouver, some of them are in Toronto, some are in Stratford. And we really, really were able to tighten and clarify the narrative of the story. And then with that, in 2021, I then went away and did a whole bunch of rescoring and rewriting of songs in order to support the new book that we had. So instead of sort of doing a whole bunch of things at the same time, singing, learning, a reading, changing a song here, changing a scene there, we reordered things and went really methodically through like all of the scenes and all the story and then all of the score. And now we sort of hit a point where it's like, okay, we really do need actors in a room together to sing some of this stuff. Uh, But I I will say that it does feel like we maximized our our pandemic time the best we could. So there's a benefit and a silver lining to what actually happened going forward. When when you actually have those actors in the room, they will have benefited by all this beautiful work. Yeah, we'll never know what the piece was, like what this alternate reality version of it is, but I'm very happy with the one that we have now. That's so amazing. How can people access it if they want to see this production? Mm-hmm. Well, there's the uh, there's a, a video of a million that's available on YouTube, yes. which we did with the graduating Sheridan class, uh, musical theater performance class of 2020. And there's also a playlist of demos that they recorded from the show available on YouTube. If you find the a million video, you'll find the playlist because they're linked to each other. And then uh, there's a couple of standalone songs on my album, Small Ways to Move as well. It's so great. And then I think we can keep our eyes peeled for possibly, there might be a public reading in the fall of 2022. I can't say too much else yet because I don't know yet. And then we'll see what the years ahead hold. But that is the easiest way to access some of the work right now is head on YouTube. When you were talking about the process and the whole dramaturgical element, your eyes were lit with such animation and your whole face was lit up. And and so I thought to myself, is this something you have loved your entire life? And how did law school fit into all of this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, law school was a act of 
Oh, not self-preservation, but you know, I, I'm I'm the child of immigrant parents who came to Canada with not very much. They met in Winnipeg when they were in dental school at the University oh. of Manitoba, <laughs> and they had both moved to Canada with very very little economically when they were both about thirteen. You know, and so there's a there's a real sense of wanting your children to be safe because you've never had that at that age, and wanting them to have everything you haven't had. Of being an artist doesn't generally figure into that <laughs> fantasy easily, uh, especially for a lot of the immigrant parents' dream for their kid, you know, because safety and security financially in particular is so front of mind for so long. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't know much about what it meant to be a theater or a music artist full time, except that it didn't seem like a very stable life. Mm -hmm. And so they're both dentists. I actually went to the University of Western Ontario for my undergrad. Wow with the intention of getting into dental school. And then uh, my organic chemistry mark made it very clear that was not <laughs> going to happen. Uh, but your English our, mark blew exactly. everyone away. Oh, right. My English and philosophy marks were really, really high. And uh, a professional degree is still a professional degree. And so I volunteered the idea of going to law school. And I will say that it taught me lots of things that have been useful in my career, particularly on the admin. Uh, I write a letter real fast. Um, <laughs> the organization side of it and public speaking parts of it as well. Like mm -hmm. the I, being able to boil down a sort of qualitative situation into quantitative facts, deadlines, what is yes. really happening underneath all of this yes. is a really useful skill of law school. But the actual practice of law is much more left-brained than TV shows make it out to be. Yeah. You know, it's, you're not kind of drop-dead divaing in and coming up with inspiration <laughs> at the last minute and saving <laughs> also no angel, you know, it happens a body to like... <laughs> <laughs> coach you through it. And so I did start to burn out pretty hard after two and a half years of practice because I was missing the creative and free-flowing sure. elements of that practice. And I was a musician the whole time. So wow. it was a bit going back. As a little kid, were you an artist? Were you a performer? Like, do you remember one of your first performances <laughs> on a stage? I do. So I violin was very early for me. I was put into violin lessons at the age of three or four. And so I'm definitely, I think one of my first performances was probably some Suzuki or Kiwanis festival rather. Uh, and I used to have this habit, this horrible habit of walking around the stage when I would play. And I remember I almost walked off the stage a couple of times because I was so absorbed and I'm very clumsy to this day. But then on top of that, I had a real passion for narrative storytelling. So I remember my parents brought home the cast recording of The Phantom of the Opera after they saw the Toronto production, and I memorized it. My kindergarten teacher told my mom at some, you know, parent-teacher interview that I would walk around with her at recess because I was that kid who held the teacher's hand at recess. <laughs> and I would sing every single part of the first act of Phantom to her sequentially from, you know, the overture all the way up until the end of Music of the Night or something like that. Wow. So I think that it was always in my blood. Wow, that, that's a fantastic story. That's incredible. Uh, when you're watching one of your musicals spring to life on stage, do you have a moment that sort of stands out for you where you had an epiphany or a catharsis of some kind, just watching your creation unfold before your very eyes? Mm. It's a funny experience to be a writer in the audience of your shows because most of the time, especially before reviews come out, you're, you're sitting there a little bit nodded and clenched and, and sort of because you're helpless to the thing and yet you've created it. But it's not the same as when you sing something of your own and you're a little bit you know, you have control over the delivery of the material or you can be absorbed in it. You kind of have to sit there in this 
weird state of surrender and just let it all come at you. And if an actor forgets a line or someone sings the wrong note or something doesn't communicate or the sound goes out, it's what happens, right? It's theater, it's ephemeral. Maybe there's one more tomorrow that won't go that way. But within those moments, in rehearsal and in production, there are these strange moments of magic where suddenly it's like you're not watching your own work anymore or it speaks to you and someone finds something else about it to say to you that you didn't know was in there, which is the beauty of this collaborative medium is an art. It's additive. Another artist and then another artist and another artist comes along and they all have something to add to the message of the piece. Mm-hmm. I remember in particular, there was this moment early on in In Real Life in 2018 when we really didn't know how the piece was going to be received. We had basically created it from scratch over the course of five weeks in Sheridan's Canadian Music Theatre program. And then we sat at dress rehearsal with surrounded by the student body of the Music Theatre Performance Program years one to four. And they they hit the final note on the piece and blackout happened. And there was this thunderous roar of applause all around. Uh, but more to that, there was something about the feeling that you could feel every physical body was in the piece with you, that they got what you were saying. And that something you had made was really, really resonating with a whole room. That's something I really miss that physical sense of a bunch of people on side with the thing that you've made. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people on stage and they're rooting for it and they're invested. And those are the moments that are why we do this. I think those are the moments of, um, Absolutely. transcendence. Yes. Isn't that wonderful? Those moments are going to happen very soon. I, <laughs> I have it on good authority that by the spring, Kevin, you are a member of the vocal group, Asian Riffing Trio, as mentioned, with Chris Sudiuchi and Colin Ascension. What is it like being part of that singing group? And when are you guys performing next? Oh, what a good question. Um, it's really joyful because we found each other through Chris uh, and through this open mic night that used to run at Statler's, this piano bar that is now gone in Toronto, but uh, used to hold Monday night open mic theater nights wow. themed and Fine. uh it was a bit of a joke at first actually because uh i riff and come from you know a pop and r&b and musical theater background chris riffs and comes from a pop and r&b <laughs> you know musical theater background and so does colin but we hadn't met and there was something really shocking about the commonality of a lot of our musical influences the way we like to sing and our musical instincts and how we gravitate towards each other and how much fun we have. Uh, and so Asian Riffing Trio was a joke name for a long time. You know, wow. Chris would put us in some of his cabarets and be like, what do you think? Asian Riffing Trio, new boy band, your new favorite boy band. Ha ha ha. But then people just kept requesting us and we kept adding to our rep list. And before you knew it in 2017, we were doing a full two-act show wow. of songs. And I joke that we're not actually a boy band. We're a bit of a super group because each of us is doing so many things on our own. Chris is an incredible composer as well as cabaret artist and music director. Colin was on season three of the Great Canadian Baking Show and placed wow, third. No cool. spoilers. Whoops. Um, <laughs> as well as this incredible marketing manager and actor himself. And so there's something really magical about us getting together because it doesn't feel like work and that's really hard to come by sometimes, you know, that sort of kismet thing where, sure, it's work, but it also doesn't feel like it in the moment because it's so easy and natural. It's that thing some artists call the free flow state, right? Mm -hmm. And it can come when you're writing, but can it also come when you're embodied in the practice of doing something together and sharing a space? And that's pretty joyful. You're really describing what happens when you're living in your purpose and on purpose and time just elapses and you don't even realize like five hours can go by and you're like, what just happened? It was noon. How is it 5 p.m.? Because you're so in it. You're so in flow, which I think is what you're talking about. 
Mm-hmm. You wear a lot of hats. You're a singer, you're a performer, <laughs> you're a dramaturge, you're, a, a, of course, a composer and a lyricist. And you're also currently a part-time faculty at Sheridan College doing some beautiful work. What do you love about teaching? I think it's that when you were mentioning my eyes lit up and I was talking about, you know, process and music composition, I love teaching other people how to fish versus getting the fish for them. You know, I, I, there's one is empowering and one is dependent. And, you know, sometimes that's just what you do. You're paid to render a service for someone and that's fantastic. But I always find it, I am more energized and more brought alive by the process of unlocking someone for someone else or being, you know, helping them unlock something for themselves that they've always wanted to do, right? In particular with music and composition, which is a tricky thing to talk about because we're talking about a completely different discipline than, say, acting or words on a page or narrative, right? We can all kind of understand things about stories because we grow up with them. But music has been gatekept in so many ways historically, right? Um, where unless you're, you know, not everybody knows what the major seven chord in first inversion form means, but they might know what they feel when they hear it or something like that. And so I love being engaged in the process of finding the right language for how someone hears and likes to understand music so that they can create something that maybe they've always heard in their heads, but didn't Mm. know how to get out of themselves. And there are certain students who are so far ahead of where I was when I was their age. Like I I sort of look at what these students are able to do between the age of 17 to 22. And I think (laughs) of what I was doing at 17, 22. And I, you know, I think sometimes I teach to give these students a bit of the teaching methodology and the teacher that I wish that I had had at that age. Uh, that's so great. Yeah. I, Lucky I think, them. Lucky them is what I have to say. <laughs> oh, thanks, Judy. Yeah. Demystifying it and making it accessible is sort of, I think, my MO with teaching. I mean, if you're making it, if you're making it a, just about, I don't know, rinse, repeat, short-term memory reiteration, then I don't think you're giving someone something that they can use in the rest of their life compared to something that they can apply right off the bat and get really excited about. I was also wondering when I was listening to your music, a lot of your musicals are very pop inspired, but there's, I don't know, I feel like there's a lot of influences in there. Who are your musical influences, both in musical theater and in pop music? Sure. Yeah. Um, Mariah Carey is Mm. actually the reason I started writing songs. So when I was, I was a classical musician all the way up until I was about 12. I remember someone asked me what my favorite band was at 12 and I wrote London Symphony Orchestra because I had a, wow. <laughs> a compilation album. But then I started listening to pop music. I was, of course, pulled in by her voice uh, at, initially, but very quickly I came across interviews where she talked about the fact that she was responsible for the lyrics and melodies of every single number one that she had that was not a cover. And I thought, oh, I didn't know it was possible to be someone who renders the music and sings and performs it and also creates it. And very soon after I started writing pop songs at the age of 13 or 14, some of them aren't very good, but they're sure catchy. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, definitely there's a huge vocal and also songwriting influence there because I learned structure by reverse engineering the way these songs were made. And then later on, Stevie Wonder, Donny Hathaway, Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of incredible soul artists, as well as I'd say Andrew Lloyd Webber, and Alan Menken, who were the musical theater soundtracks of my upbringing, and then later Stephen Sondheim, of course, Jason Robert Brown, Adam Gettle, you know, all of these incredible composers. But but my style and my influences are really an interesting mix of pop, classical, musical theater, and, you know, soul and R&B in particular. Wow. All (laughs) great ones. Uh, So, so (laughs) fabulous. I want to ask you if nothing was standing in your way at all, 
what would be the ultimate dream for you as an artist? I would love to write for one of my pieces to have made their way into some sort of global collective consciousness in such a way that it, I know that it resonates with people on a wide scale, you know, in, in some sort of way. I think for better and for worse, I'm one of those artists who really, really loves the idea of leaving something behind that matters to someone, you know, that famous Sondheim song, Children in Art, but truly I think. <gasps> Oh, uh, isn't it stunning? It's so oh, stunning. I love that song. Um, but you know, as I as I continue to advance in my career and my life, there's something so incredibly true about those things because leaving something behind for someone else to build on it or grow from it or or just to be a comfort to someone, that's a pretty good reason for being. And and so I think those are the things I'm always ultimately aiming towards. What is bliss for Kevin Wong? <laughs> um Bliss for Kevin Wong is finding a way to surrender to the moment, especially in moments of like sudden surprise discovery, you know, um, watching stand up with my husband or a good comedy and being delighted by the surprise of a joke or putting music together and feeling something resonate in my body because I get, you know, something sounds even better than I imagined that it would. And just allowing myself to celebrate that moment and dance to it a little bit. Um, it's, abandoning the instinct we all have as adults to self-edit all the time mm -hmm. and to sometimes just go with the impulse. Yeah. Lovely. Lovely. What is the best way for people to contact you and to listen to your music and connect with you on social media? Yeah. I'm Kevin Y. Wong on pretty much all social media, including Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitch. Uh, definitely Twitch is probably where I'm the most active online these days. So you can find me there where I stream Monday, Wednesdays, Fridays, usually. Uh, and then uh, Kevin Wong Music is my website. Kevin Wong Music is your com. website. That's fantastic. Is there anything coming up that you want to share with us or anything that we can be excited about? We need excitement. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned on my website and some of my social media for some announcements, I think, about some concert series this summer. So exciting. We're going to go on a short commercial break. More with composer Kevin Wong and his beautiful song, Maybe Now, when we come back. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And we've been joined for the hour by composer Kevin Wong, composer and lyricist Kevin Wong. And Kevin is going to close out the show with another one of his beautiful songs, Maybe Now, 
Kevin, can you set the song up for us, please? This is a song from a very new in-progress musical called Believers. It's co-written by the incredible Allie Joy Richardson, who's a director and playwright who lives out in Halifax. And uh, it was a song that surprised me with how relevant it was to the circumstances we were living in in 2020. It's not actually about the pandemic, and yet I didn't have to change a word for it to be about the pandemic. Wow. And particularly the line in it, maybe not knowing where we are can be good. Let's have a listen to Maybe Now by Kevin Wong from the show Believers. Hey. Oh my God. That was absolutely gorgeous. Oh my God, Kevin. Oh, thank you. Wow. I love that so much. I want to thank you so much, Kevin, for being on Finding Your Bliss Day. It's really been a, a delight and an honor having you. And it's not what I expected. I am just kind of blown away by you. So really, oh uh, thank you. Wow. It was just, uh, you're, you're, you're a very, very beautiful artist. And I think the world is a better place because you're in it. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was great. Each week we spotlight a singer, songwriter, or a musician on the show. If you're a singer, please write to us at music at findingyourbliss.com. And if you're anyone who has found and is following their bliss, we would love to hear from you. You can also write to us at findingyourbliss.com. I'm a life coach. If I could help you in any way, let me know. You can reach out and contact me at findingyourbliss.com slash coaching. And I'm also on Insight Timer, the number one free meditation app. And all you have to do is search up Judy Liebrack. And of course, you can follow us at The Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. I would like to thank our exclusive guest today, Kevin Wong, for being here. Thank you to Mag Ruffman, Siobhan Kiley, associate producer Shelley Koskinen, editorial assistant Lauren Kaminsky, intern and editor Beatrice Costa, and audio producer Faz Kazi, and everyone here at Zoomer. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center. I'd like to close out the show today with a short quote, and here it is. Music is therapy. Music moves people. It connects people in ways that no other medium can. It pulls heartstrings. It acts as medicine. And that was said by Macklemore. Music is healing. And when words fail, music speaks. I pray that music will heal the world. For everyone here at Finding Your Bliss, I'm Judy Liebrack, reminding you all to take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.